Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm Presents Book Burners, Episode 5. One. Sal's footsteps seemed unnaturally loud in the empty corridor. She stopped. No traffic noises from outside, no thrum of an ancient ventilation system. No voices from any of the rooms she had passed. In fact, no sign of another living soul in the last... Sal sighed, checked her watch. Assuming time hadn't become completely unhinged, and what did it say about her life that that was now a necessary mental caveat? She had been wandering, lost, in the back halls of the Vatican for nearly 20 minutes, which meant she was late. And above and beyond Grace's strange fixation with punctuality, Sal hated being late. Unfortunately, she also hated asking for directions. Throughout her career, it had always been important to her to be the one who helped other people when they got lost, not the clueless rookie who had to get on the radio when she couldn't find her way through the South Bronx. Not that she had ever done that. Although, Sal thought, if I'm getting nostalgic for my days in the 4-2, living in Rome must really be getting to me. As if that much hadn't been obvious the night before, when she caught herself watching MSNBC International just to hear familiar accents. Sal looked around the immaculate corridor, filled with hundreds of years of art and artifacts. There was no sign that anyone used the corridor for anything, but still, not a speck of dust or dead roach to be seen. Clearly, it was time to get her head around the fact that, at least until she was able to bring her brother out of his demon-induced coma, she was really not in New York anymore. There was nothing to be done about it. It was time to ask for directions. If only there was someone to ask, anyone at all. Where was Tom Hanks when you needed him? Hell, she'd reached the point where she'd have settled for a homicidal albino monk. You probably took a wrong turn at the old gallery of the Lake Crusades, said a man behind her. It's an easy mistake to make. Looks almost exactly like the new gallery of the early Crusades. Sal whirled, reaching for the hundredth time for the gun she no longer carried. Although in this case, being unarmed was probably just as well, since the man who had spoken turned out to be outfitted in full tactical gear with what looked like a bolt-action rifle hanging easily at his side. 
Getting into a shootout in the back halls of the Vatican would be even more embarrassing than getting lost. Who are you? Sal demanded. Then, after a moment to reflect, she added, And how did you know I spoke English? The man answered her second question first. I knew you spoke English because you're clearly the new recruit for Team 3, Sal Brooks, formerly of the NYPD, he said. As for me, I'm Christophe Bouchard, currently leader of Team 1, formerly of the Canadian Rangers, Quebec region. Bouchard grinned at her. It's too bad we didn't get called in on the New York job. I would have snapped you up before Menchu got the chance to recruit you for the black hole. Black hole? Team 3. Books go in, nothing comes out. He turned and gestured down the hall. Here, let me walk you out of the maze, or Asante will think I've stolen you. Sal decided, since he had volunteered, that this didn't count as asking for directions. Falling into step beside him, she asked, So if you know all about me, why didn't you come say hi earlier? Team one and team three have historically not had the best of relations. Why not? Antique firearms aside, you're the most normal person I've met in weeks. Antique? Were you afraid a semi-auto would freeze in the harsh Roman winters? You were police. How often were people happy to see you show up? Sal shot him a look. You want to see my badge? I still am police, just on loan to the Vatican. Technically, anyway. Bouchard let it go. We're the guys with the guns who get called in when there's something the black hole can't suck up. And Manchu and Asante don't like admitting they need help. They rounded a corner, and a familiar voice added, also, Team One are a bunch of trigger-happy loons who never found a problem they didn't think an Arcelor to C4 couldn't solve. Liam, Sal wasn't sure if he wasn't happy to see her, wasn't happy to see Bouchard, or wasn't happy to see her with Bouchard. Bouchard shrugged. I don't hear a lot of complaints. You might if you left anyone alive behind you. Sal could practically feel the tension vibrating between them. Okay, then. If the territory has been sufficiently pissed on, Liam is no doubt here to remind me how late I am, and I'm sure you have to go load your blunderbuss or something. Bouchard gave her a wounded look. You really aren't going to let this gun thing go, are you? Not anytime soon, no. Shaking his head, Bouchard offered Sal an ironic salute, and with a nod to Liam, left them. Liam scowled as he watched the other man's departing figure vanish around a corner. We should get back. Uh, Santi's got something for us. Glowy magic eight ball acting up again? Signs point to yes. As it turned out, the orb was sitting quietly in its apparatus, but that didn't seem to make Asante any less nervous. The shopkeeper said he thought he had a book for me, a really old one in Greek. But when I went to see him this morning, it was gone. The book? Sal asked. The bookshop. A pause. Well, said Father Minchu, that's rarely good. The priest turned demonic bookfinder, heaved himself to his feet, and reached for his coat as he turned to Liam. Take 15 minutes to dig up whatever history you can on the address, then head for the van. I'll get Grace and meet you there. 15 minutes isn't much time, said Liam. Asante was already headed toward her reference stacks. I'll keep working from here. I'll call you if I find anything, or if the orb spikes. Manchu nodded and turned for the spiral stairs leading up out of the archives. Sal called after him, what about me? He paused, clearly having forgotten that Sal was in the room. Sal squashed a spike of resentment. The rest of the team had been working together for years. It would take more than a few weeks for her to find her niche. But Manchu had recruited her, 
and it stung to be overlooked. He reached into his pocket and tossed an item he found there to Sal. Go warm up the car. Sal looked at the van keys in her hand. She was about to object that that wasn't exactly what she had in mind, but there was no one left to object to. Sal sighed. She really hoped she didn't get lost on the way to the Vatican garage. Of course, even though Sal had successfully found, checked over, and started the team's ancient white panel van without getting lost even once, Grace still insisted on driving. Given her experience with Italian drivers, Sal didn't put up much of a fight. Traffic was at least a relatively nonviolent outlet for Grace's more aggressive tendencies. On the way, Liam briefed the team. Turns out, Asante has been cultivating her own connections with the antiquarian booksellers of Rome for the last 15 years. Wish would have saved me the trouble of setting up my own if she'd bothered to mention it earlier. But anyway, her hope was that if someone came across an artifact, they'd tip her off, and for once, we could get to the book before anyone managed to open the damn thing. How's that working out? Asked Grace. Son says it's the first we've heard of it. Obviously, they didn't find anything that needed to be bagged. Until now, I guess. But she says it has netted some obscure esoterica for the reference library. Liam paused. One for her personal collection of diaries written by French travelers in West Africa during the colonial period. Which is another thing I didn't know she had, but is apparently one of the most extensive in the world. Everyone needs a hobby, Sal mused. Grace frowned. I thought Asante collected sketches by the early modernists. Everyone needs many hobbies? Menchu cleared his throat. Does this particular bookseller have a history of interesting finds? Liam shook his head. Average, at best. But he keeps good biscotti in the shop, so she visits regularly anyway. And before you ask, I check the address against our records. No history of possessions, unsolved crimes, or even strange traffic patterns in the area. If something weird happened, it probably came into the shop from outside, rather than tunneling up from underneath. Does tunneling happen a lot? Sal asked. Iceland, Grace reminded her as she pulled across three lanes of traffic and threw the van into park. Manchu caught Sal's expression and put a reassuring hand on her shoulder. It's rarely volcanoes, sinkholes sometimes, but like Liam said, that doesn't seem likely in this case. Sal was not reassured. I would feel a lot better if I thought you were just trying to haze the new guy, she said and slid open her door. Unfortunately, she was pretty sure they weren't. When Asante had said that the shop was gone, she hadn't been exaggerating. What had once been an antiquarian bookshop tucked away on a side street between a jewelry store and an art gallery was now a pile of rubble. The city police had put up tape across the entrance, but there was no other sign of an official presence on the scene. Just as well, Menchu said. Okay, everyone, let's find out what happened. Menchu went over to talk to a small group of onlookers clustered on the sidewalk about half a block away. Liam pulled out his laptop. Grace considered the ruins of the bookshop, the undisturbed buildings on either side, and the complete lack of an obvious demon or other bad guy for her to start hitting, and plopped herself down on the bumper of the van with a copy of Cold Comfort Farm. Sal, not sure what else to do, joined Grace by the van. Tired of Jane Austen? Finished. Finished? She only wrote six novels. You know, if you ever want a break from reading all of English literature, maybe we could- Can't. Sal blinked. You don't know what I was going to ask. You were going to suggest we grab a drink after work. Or coffee. It could have been coffee. I don't have time. 
Well, Sal could certainly recognize a brush off when she heard it, especially when it was delivered with a sledgehammer. She went over to join Liam instead. He was squatting near the wreckage with his laptop balanced on one muscular arm and didn't look up at her approach. I'm not getting much interference. Well, that's a good sign. If the book was one of ours, at least no one opened it. Do all demons wreck electronics? Sal asked. Liam shuddered. Not all, just most. So maybe this was one of those? Let's hope not, said Liam. But if I'm playing CSI for this little party, I'll take a working computer for as long as I can get it. Sal couldn't argue with that. The procedures should have been familiar for Sal. Show up at the scene, talk to witnesses, start putting together a narrative to explain the events that had turned an average day into an extraordinary one, at least for this small segment of the population. The problem was that while Sal had the experience and the training for the situation, she didn't know enough Italian to be useful. Besides, between a naturally warm demeanor and his clerical collar, Menchu was ridiculously good at getting the locals to talk to him. So even if she had been able to do more than stumble through a dinner order in a mixture of Italian and cop Spanish, it wasn't as though he actually needed her help. So here she was, finally in a situation that she actually had the skills for, and she still had nothing to do. And then Sal spotted it. Across the street was a narrow doorway labeled with a small plaque that read Hotel Tranquilo and adorned with five flag stickers which advertised the languages spoken within. One of the stickers was the Union Jack. Bingo. Inside, the hotel was certainly tranquilo. In fact, it was deserted. Behind an unattended desk in the front foyer was a slightly open door, and beyond it, Sal could hear voices speaking English. Since no one was there to stop her, Sal invited herself in. The door led to a courtyard filled with four tourist couples and their guide, or at least Sal assumed that the odd man out was their guide, since he didn't have a partner with a matching windbreaker. Also, he was a good 20 years younger than the median age for the group and carried a clipboard and tablet. Sal tapped the man on the shoulder. Excuse me. Sorry to disturb the tranquility. We'll be out of your way in just a few minutes. Then he turned, saw Sal, and blinked. You're not, Sophia. Now, well, we'll be out of the courtyard soon. Is that what you needed? Sal raised an eyebrow and gave him her best, are you kidding me, expression. No. The man blinked again. He had very nice brown eyes, actually, almost honey-colored. Ah, yes, I'll stop anticipating. Bad habit of mine. Sorry, ask your question. My name is Sal Brooks. I'm a detective. The man took this in. Aaron Smith. Pleased to meet you. Did your group stay here last night? Yes. Mind if I ask them a few questions? Not at all. Unfortunately, the tourists all proved to be singularly unhelpful. Slept like a log. Didn't hear a thing. So jet-lagged, didn't move all night. Only thing I felt was Bruce snoring next to me. Sal was about to thank the group for their time and leave empty-handed when the guide pulled her aside. The building that went down, the old bookshop? Yes, do you know it? Actually, I was there yesterday. Sal raised an eyebrow. Oh? A lot of my groups stay at this hotel, and I sometimes go over to the bookshop to chat with the owner if flights run late and I have a little time to kill, he said, then added, he kept really good biscotti in the shop. That's the rumor. 
Anyway, I don't know if this is important, but when I stopped in, he was having a discussion with another customer. It seemed like it was getting heated. What were they arguing about? I didn't exactly linger, but from what I could tell, the young woman was there to pick up a book. Apparently, the owner had inadvertently promised it to two different customers and didn't want to sell to her anymore. Do you remember anything about this woman? I think she was in her 20s, blonde, but tanned, like she spent a lot of time outside. Italian? Australian, I think, from the accent. She was wearing deck shoes and a polo shirt, like a uniform, if that helps. Did you notice a logo, name tag? Sorry. That's okay. Thank you for your help. Sal turned to go, but the guide's voice stopped her. Is he all right? Who? Sal asked. The shopkeeper. Did he get out of the store before it collapsed? Sal paused. She had no idea. And she realized that this tour guide was the first person that day who had even asked. It hadn't even occurred to her to ask, which wasn't exactly a comfortable thought, since protecting people was kind of baked into her job description. The guide sensed her unease. Sorry, uh, none of my business. Sal nodded and quickly left him and his tour group behind her. Katie returned to the boat later than she planned, but she wasn't surprised to find Paul, the first mate, waiting up for her. Let's keep making you stand watch while we're in port now. Paul drew her into his lap, and Katie put up only a token resistance. Just wanted to make sure you got home safe. And here I am, safe. Or do you want to check for yourself? She expected him to take that as his cue to let his hands begin a slow migration down from her waist, but instead, Paul reached for the plastic bag she still carried. Is that it? Yeah. Let me see. Katie tugged it away. Since when do you care about Mr. Norse's books? We sail all over the world chasing these things, and this is the first time you've ever brought one back. We do not sail all over the world looking for books. Don't we? When was the last time we were in port and there wasn't some bookshop for you to check out? Katie had never particularly thought about it. Okay, so he likes books. So what? Did you tell him you had this one? Of course. I called from the train. Oh, why haven't we gotten word to go meet him? Or daddy's coming here. I've been on the bridge all night. Nothing. He finally finds what he's looking for and now he doesn't even want to see it? Could be about the chase. Paul snorted at this. If he doesn't want to see it, I do. That's nothing to see. It's just an old book. Maybe I want to read it. I'm a man of letters. Katie swatted him with her free hand. I've been to Athens with you. You don't read Greek. Besides, I have strict instructions. This thing goes straight into the safe. Fine, he said and let her go. Katie pushed herself up off Paul's lap, taking the bag, book, and herself out of reach. His voice caught her at the threshold. Don't you wonder, Katie? No, she said and slipped away. It was true, Katie thought as she tucked the book into the owner's private safe. She didn't wonder. She had seen enough when the bookseller had shown it to her in the shop. Whatever this book was, she wanted no part of it. Ostia. Grace said without looking up from her book. Father Menchu nodded in agreement. Ostia, Sal echoed. Liam took pity and explained. A small suburb not far from here, on the coast. A Scott ancient silted up harbor that rivals Pompeii. You should check it out sometime when we're not on duty. 
Thank you, Department of Tourism. Why, Ostia, are Australian expats really into silted harbors? Grace finished her book, rose from the sidewalk, and started for the van. Tell her on the way, she said. Daylight's burning. Father Manchu shot Grace a look that Sal had difficulty reading. Impatience? Guilt? Before turning back to answer Sal's question. Ostia is the closest place to Rome where you can berth a yacht. We can imagine many potential futures. Some serve as inspiration, others, warnings. Wondery offers one possibility of the future in their new show, The Last City. The year is 2072, and the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Two. Twenty minutes of Grace's maniacal driving later, they were in Ostia, home of commuting Romans, ancient harbors, and a crap ton of yachts. Sal looked out at the marina. What she knew about boats began and ended with the Staten Island Ferry and reruns of The Love Boat that she had watched with her college roommates in a fog of cheap booze and insomnia. Liam was on the phone with Asante. Grace, still lacking someone to kick in the face, was back to her book. Manchu stared out at the yachts, frowning. Sal approached him. It doesn't look like all the crews wear polo shirts. If you're right about where our girl came from, that narrows it down a little bit, at least. Manchu made a noncommittal hmm noise. I could wander down, see if I can pick up some gossip, she offered. Manchu's eyes were still fixed on the docks. After a long pause, he finally said, I don't think that will be necessary. Look, said Sal, I think I just proved I can be useful. Let me do my job. Manchu turned to her in surprise. Of course you can be useful. That's why I wanted you on the team. But I believe there's a simpler way to find the boat we're looking for. And what is that? Sal couldn't keep the edge of impatience out of her voice. 
Manchu pointed to a small vessel docked at the end of the marina. Does that yacht look uh, blurry to you? Sal looked, squinted, looked again. Damn him, it did. The view got less and less blurry as they approached the boat, which according to the writing on the transom was called the Fairweather. Manchu took point, and Sal was curious to finally see an alleged cover story in action. So far, every cover she'd seen the team use basically went, look at the weird shit going on right in front of you. We are here to deal with it. Do you want to deal with it yourself? No? We didn't think so. Thank you for your cooperation. Captain Childress, however, was proving skeptical. I am sorry, Manchu said, managing to sound both apologetic and puzzled without giving an inch to the resolute captain. We were told the vessel was for sale. That's correct, said the captain. But if you want a tour, you're going to have to go through the sales broker or speak directly to Mr. Norse, the owner, before I can let you aboard. Apparently, the team didn't look like people about to drop multiple millions on a boat, which in fairness was an accurate impression. The Catholic Church probably had deep pockets, but Sal got the feeling that buying a yacht wasn't an expense request Asante would be able to get approved. As Manchu went in for another attempt, Sal heard a familiar voice talking to someone in the next slip. She looked over to check. Yes, it was Aaron, the guide from the Hotel Tranquilo. Frowning, Sal went to investigate. Fancy meeting you here. The guide seemed unruffled by her sudden appearance. Hello again, he said. The deckhand he'd been talking to shot Sal a smile. Hey, I'm Nick. Sal ignored him and kept her attention on Aaron. What brings you to Ostia, she asked. I handed my group over to an archaeological expert for a tour of the old harbor. It's impressive, like Pompeii without the crowds. So I hear, if it's that good, why aren't you with them? It's only impressive the first 70 times. After that, it goes downhill fast. And I try to keep up with the crews that come through. Sometimes their guests are looking for a private tour. Sal nodded to Childress in the fair weather behind him. Ever talk to him? At this, Nick let out a short laugh. If you're looking for work over there, don't bother. The fair weather doesn't charter and never takes extra hands. Close crew, Sal asked. Paranoid owner. What's he got to be paranoid about? Who knows, mafia ties, drug money, cult leader. Whatever it is, it made him enough money to buy his boat, so I guess he's pretty good at it. Nick made this sound lascivious, although Sal had no idea how he managed to pull off the effect. Everyone had their talents, she supposed. Well, thanks, Nick and Aaron, was it? She turned back to the guide. He stuck out a hand. Yes, and you're quite welcome. Sal shook it. His hand was warm and dry. Grip was good, which was faintly surprising for a man who apologized as frequently and easily as Aaron did. But Sal tried not to read into that. As she let go of his hand, Liam appeared at her elbow, and Sal let the Irishman draw her aside. That's your old job. How did you get into places people didn't want to let you in? With a battering ram? Subtly. With a warrant? Liam gave her a withering look. Sal answered with an apologetic shrug. I was a beat cop, and I was a detective. I wasn't doing weird undercover shit. Except once on a Rico thing. Sal trailed off. Actually, if the owner of the Fairweather does have mob ties, that might come in handy. Hey, 
she said, turning back to Nick and Aaron. But Nick had, thank goodness, returned to work, and Aaron was nowhere to be seen. Must have gone back to get his tour group. Hey, what? Asked Liam. Do you think captains of yachts with shady, paranoid owners are as nervous as low-level fences? I have no idea what you're talking about. It's okay. If I'm wrong, at least Grace will probably get to hit something. I should put her in a better mood. Win-win, then. Putting on her best own-the-street swagger, Sal walked back to where Menchu and Captain Childress were still talking. Or rather, Menchu was talking. Childress was rapidly losing patience. It would have been nice to have a little more information to really sell this, but ultimately the key was confidence, not evidence. Fortunately for her. As they walked, Sal whispered to Liam, stand behind me, don't say anything, and look like a badass. You want me to get Grace, too? I need someone who looks like a badass. Grace looks about as threatening as a wet cat. Clearly, you've never tried to bathe a cat. Not the point. Can you handle not smiling for two minutes? I'll do my best. Good. And then there wasn't time to say anything else because Sal was at Menchu's side. She tapped him on the shoulder. Look, we don't have time for this. You may as well tell him that we're here for the book. Sal, what book? The captain broke in. Sal turned to him. The book that was supposed to be collateral. And there was the hook. Sal maintained her blandest expression and willed the captain's mind to fill in the blanks with appropriately terrifying details. The captain hesitated. Shit, he wasn't gonna go for it. And then Menchu effortlessly picked up Sal's thread as though they had done this a hundred times before. Perhaps, he suggested gently, we should discuss this uh, somewhere more private. Sal sensed Liam shifting his weight behind her and pictured him squeezing a heavily tattooed fist. Unfortunately, it would have ruined the effect to turn and look. Captain Childress swallowed, then sighed. Whatever dispute you've got with the owner, there's no need to take it out on my crew. I promise you, they're just here to run the boat. Father Manchu gave him a reassuring nod. I swear to you, we have no desire to hurt anyone. The captain eyed Liam nervously. Even him? Especially him. With a last furtive look up and down the dock, the captain moved aside, and Sal and the others stepped onto the yacht. As they followed the captain through the boat, Father Menchu touched Sal's elbow, wordlessly directing her to fall in beside him and let the others pass. What made you think that would work? He asked. Sal shrugged in what she hoped was a nonchalant manner. Gut feeling. Your new friend on Team One didn't tell you about any of this, asked Menchu. Sal blinked in genuine surprise. No, why would he be involved? I thought Liam didn't find any indications of magic at the scene. He didn't, but something caused that bookshop to collapse. Father Manchu let that sit between them for a moment, then asked, any other gut feelings I should be aware of? Not so far. Sensing that Father Manchu wasn't quite satisfied, Sal added, nothing concrete. I'll give you a full debrief once we get back to HQ. Father Manchu smiled. I never doubted you would. And with that, he quickened his pace to catch up to the others. Frowning, Sal followed him to a small lounge area. What she saw stopped her in her tracks. The blur effect that Manchu had noticed on the boat had transferred. While the ship around them appeared perfectly solid and sharply focused, the rest of the world, visible through the lounge's floor-to-ceiling windows, now seemed shrouded in a filmy mist. Sal looked to the other members of the team and saw that they had seen it as well. The captain, however, appeared oblivious. <laughs> 
Sal shuddered. Whatever was going on, they needed to find and close the book that was causing it, quickly. What's this about? The captain asked. The book belongs to the Catholic Church, but that was as far as Manchu got before a second man came in from the deck. Who are they? He asked the captain. Associates of Mr. Norse. The other man made a skeptical noise to express his opinion of associates of the owner, but otherwise did not dignify that with a coherent response. This is my first mate, the captain explained. What do they want with the book? The first mate asked. There was a pause, and Menchu asked very calmly, what do you know about the book? He glared. Nothing. It's just some old book Katie said she was picking up for Mr. Norse. The first mate's eyes were locked on Menchu, but his hand was reaching for the pocket of his khaki trousers. Sal's training kicked in instantly. Do not move. Her hands went to her holster. Except, damn it, she still did not carry a gun. That realization slowed Sal for a fraction of a second, and in that fraction of a second, a lot of things happened, very quickly. The first mate reached into his pocket and came out holding the wooden grip of a small but viciously curved knife. As he swung it through the air toward Father Manchu's throat, the light caught it, and the blade shimmered wickedly sharp. Sal grabbed Father Manchu by the arm and dragged him away from the first mate as the captain reached out at the same moment and attempted to knock his officer's arm aside. Their elbows caught, and with a snarl, the first mate tightened the arc of his swing, bringing his arm back around to try and stab the captain. And then, suddenly, Grace was in the middle of the fray. Sal wasn't even sure how the other woman had gotten across the room. One moment, she was holding up a wall with her shoulder, and the next, she was standing between the captain and the first mate. Correction. Grace had hurled herself bodily right at the first mate's descending right arm, pinning it between his body and hers, while she wrapped her legs around his waist and used every ounce of her mass like a cannonball. And while Grace's mass wasn't all that much, it was enough to throw off the first mate's center of gravity. That's a hell of a move, Sal thought, if you aren't worried about breaking your fall on the way down. Sure enough, when the first mate toppled, Grace fell right along with him, tumbling over his head and Sal could have sworn that she could hear the crack of two skulls against the floor. But either Sal misheard or Grace simply didn't care. An instant later, Grace was back on her feet with her heel planted against the fallen first mate's windpipe. Do you need him able to speak for questioning? She asked Father Menchu, then added, decide quickly. The fall will only stun him for a couple of seconds. Please, Menchu said. The captain gaped. What are you talking about? You can't just... The first mate lunged up and Grace calmly kicked him in the temple. He fell back to the floor, barely conscious. Sal pulled out her handcuffs, which she did still carry, thank you very much, and was about to ask Grace if she wanted her to step in when the man wrenched himself to one side. He still had the knife and his hand was already in motion. This time, the blade struck home. Before even Grace had time to react, the first mate buried the knife in his own heart. The wet thunk of impact was followed by a fountain of steaming arterial spray, hot and coppery, in the air. Sal moved to cover the wound, apply pressure, do something, but Liam stopped her. Grace was already blocking the captain. Don't touch the body, Liam said. Until we know what was in him, we don't know about possible contamination. Sal fell back, remembering Perry and the thing that was not quite Perry and the way he had turned his former roommates into puppets. He's not a body, the captain objected. His name is Paul. I have worked with him for 10 years. The captain abruptly stopped talking. 
The body, or Paul, or whatever it had been, caved in around the stab wound in its chest. Flesh and bones collapsed, melting into a rancid black ooze that smoked against the yacht's immaculate taupe carpet. As Sal watched, the ribcage gave way with a wet squelch and a fresh gush of steam. The captain was right about one thing. It wasn't a body. Not anymore. You are listening to Book Burners. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. It just feels like the setup for a joke, you know? Three superheroes walk into an elevator. Now do you understand, Manny? We're in an elevator. An ancient Mayan elevator. You'd think, since it's a hotel, she'd have been killed in her room, right? Classic setup. That's what you'd expect, but no. She was killed in the elevator. There is a dead man in this elevator. Oh my god, what are we... Someone Dies in This Elevator is a spoiler-driven anthology series where there is always an elevator and someone always dies in it, but everything else is different. Find out more at sditepod.com. Book Burners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Amal El-Motar, Murr Lafferty, Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Slattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by XE Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith and additional editing by Corey Barton and Brooks Ewald. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi featuring Jody Redditch Ferber and mixed by Justin Morell. Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Osadolahi. Find more shows like Bookburners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.